Steve, welcome to December, man. <laughs> yeah, we're here, man. Uh, wrapping up the year, kind of on the backside of Black Friday, which, um, holy crap, kind of went pretty crazy yeah. for us. It's the yeah. reason this podcast is a Tuesday minute and not a Monday minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, um, we did that 15% off sale and uh, basically ran for 24 hours and went pretty much wiped up, wiped, wah, took our inventory out of stock. That's for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, most of you, not I'll say most of you listening, but many of you listening, I'm sure were a part of that and thank you. But yeah, it went, uh, much faster and more intense than we expected. And, uh, it's a, it's a good problem to have, but we got a lot of work ahead of us to get those out. So yeah, we essentially didn't record yesterday just because we were, you know, all hands on deck still are in terms of shipping orders. It's going to take us, you know, into next week for sure to to get things caught up. So if you guys did make an order, whether that's for a pack system or just accessories or what have you, number one, thank you. Uh, and number two, uh, thanks for your patience as we try and cruise through these orders. So we will send out an email uh, when your order ships and look for that. And yeah, thanks to everybody for the support for sure. It was, uh, it was a wild time. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. How was uh, Thanksgiving weekend otherwise? Uh, pretty pretty laid back, man. Just hung out with the family. Did Thanksgiving with uh, my wife's mom, and then um, yeah, went uh, took the kids out on Sunday and cut down. I should cut down two Christmas trees. One oh, for nice. a, a small one for upstairs for my daughter because she wanted her own Christmas tree. Uh, <laughs> so we kind of put it up in a little landing area. We got upstairs and then got another one. But that was it was fun, man. I drug the kids like we parked on the, you know, drove up to the mountains and parked on this road and probably ended up hiking almost a mile back there <laughs> to find like <laughs> the perfect tree. <laughs> well, but that was part of the experience, right? Like you, there was like a tree right off the road. It was like, oh, we can't cut that down. That's too easy. You know, it's yeah. like, like hunting, you gotta, it's gotta be somewhat challenging in order to be memorable. Yeah. So we ended up hiking pretty far back in there and I had to do like, I tried carrying like two trees and my son who was you know done <laughs> being in the sled and I made it like, you know, a quarter of a mile <laughs> I had to drop one of the trees and come back and grab it and no it was a really good time so yeah that's funny you put the whole nothing worth having comes easy slogan into christmas trees <laughs> <laughs> kind of do that with my whole, everything in my life but yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny well cool let's uh dive into some listener questions um this one was kind of a two part, you know, this time of year with a lot of the new bows being announced or coming soon, uh, someone kind of wrote in and they're shopping for a new bow in 2021 and two part question. He said, number one, what are some pros and cons to shooting a bow with a shorter or longer axle to axle measurement? Uh, and then kind of the second part of his question was, he was asking us personally, are there any new for 2021 bows that we're excited about? So, uh, let's, uh, cover axle to axle length first steve what are your thoughts there yeah so i would say traditionally um what in all cases longer axle to axle should be a more stable platform to shoot from right it's um if you, you can easily envision putting a stabilizer on your bow right like you get that weight further away from the center of your hand the more it's going to stabilize um, same thing works, you know, vertically, right? So the, the further weight is away up and down from the grip, the more stable it's going to be. Um, one thing though, that I would say has changed in the last 10 years is companies are, are making risers longer and longer, right? So limbs are going back beyond parallel. 
and, and risers are longer and the, and the riser is obviously where the majority of the weight is going to come from. So a 30 inch axle to axle bow with kind of a long riser and some weight at the top and bottom is probably going to shoot more like, or shoot better than say a 36 inch axle to axle bow from 15 years ago that had a short riser and kind of really long limbs. So it's kind of something to, to keep in mind again, that it's, it's just about getting that weight further away from your hand in both directions. Um, and also there's some advantages to, um, like a lower string angle on that longer axle to axle bow. So basically there's like less, as you can imagine, coming back to full draw, the, you know, the knock is the pinch point, right? That the, the angle, um, going back to the limbs of the string isn't as steep on a longer axle axle bow. Um, and there's a few advantages there in shooting, but, uh, so short answer is as far as like, yeah, longer is better, but there's also some, you know, side notes to that of uh, it's really about weight distribution. Um, as far as personally just shooting, um, you know, what I have noticed, I don't really, you know, I think for the average guy who's, you know, who can shoot out to 60, 70 yards and shoot five, six inch groups, um, I think you're just not going to see like vast differences between one axle axle and another. If you're talking, if you're talking like 31 versus 34, you know, it, it usually comes down to more of like one feels better, but as far as actually shooting better, um, you know, I think it's pretty minimal, yeah. uh, but, but feeling better gives more confidence and confidence kills. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's something there, but it, I always just suggested, and it's not the answer that some people want, right. Is, go to the archery shop and shoot as many as you can. And one of them is just going to feel right for you. Right. And pick that one. <laughs> like yeah. it's, you know, there's not, i truly don't think the difference between, you know, a, a five, $600 bow and the $1,500 bows, um, you know, not the average guy is not going to be able to tell the difference in accuracy between those anymore. Um, I just, I, I just haven't seen it myself. Right. I, I know I could easily grab a 15 year old bow and shoot absolutely as good as I do with uh, my, you know, my Hoyt that I shoot right now. It's you know, basically brand new. So, um, it's just, uh, yeah, there's, you know, they've, they've gotten more efficient, a little bit faster, um, not necessarily faster, but a little bit smoother for the speed that you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just had a friend, uh, uh, text me about bows and I was like, man, it just, it doesn't matter anymore. They're all quality. <laughs> um, it's fun to get the latest and greatest, but if you're looking to save some money, um, you know, unless you're like the highest level tournament archer, you're just not going to see differences there. You're fighting over, um, very, very, very small details at this point. So, yeah. 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 I mean, for me, I've always preferred, uh, the longer axle to axle bows, primarily because being a longer draw length it goes back to what you're talking about with string angle mm-hmm. um and as you said that sh- that has changed in 10 years i mean it truly has changed where i can be much more comfortable shooting a 32 inch bow with call it modern geometry than i would have a 32 inch bow 10 years ago um but yeah i mean always before i was shooting like a 35 a 36 um you know more recently shooting like a 34 but again with that longer riser which still gives me a better string angle but you know for me uh in most 
bows and like a 30 and a half inch draw, you know, you're pulling further, further back, you're creating more of an acute angle, especially on a shorter bow or a shorter riser bow. And it just, I just flat out wasn't as comfortable at full draw. It had nothing to do with, as you said, like accuracy per se. For me, it was just a matter of getting a comfortable anchor point where I could have, you know, the kind of the proper contact points on my face the way I preferred it. And it was really tough to do that with a really fine acute angle on a short axle to axle bow. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it, to like now shooting the 36 inch bow with modern geometry is not really needed. Um, mm. But going back, like thinking of oh, like the elite pure or something like that, I think that was a 35 or 36 inch bow. I loved the way that that fit. Um, but again, that's kind of a different geometry from a different age a bit. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's, you know, the other thing to look at is the downsides to the longer axle to axle bow they're not many really for most western guys but obviously the guys who are listening to this who like myself you know hunt out in the midwest or in out east as well you might be in a ground blind tree stand what have you like mobility factor um it's for sure nice to shoot a shorter bow if you do any sort of ground blind hunting or something that was never a consideration for me before but now that I'll get in a ground blind with my kids or something. It's it's a pain in the butt, you know, to like have a longer bow and a ground blind um, when I'm hunting with them, for example. So it's it's one of those deals. It's you know, ideally in a perfect world, I'd have one short bow for ground blind and then another longer stable bow for Western hunting when the shot distances are potentially longer and there's no downside to the longer bow itself. But yeah, yeah, that, that's one thing I didn't cover on answering the question for me was I do appreciate so i've been shooting like a horde rx3 uh and it's like 30 and a half maybe 31 somewhere in there um and just the strapping it to a pack um you know hiking around the mountains um i, I do appreciate that shorter axle to axle right it's just it's not sticking below the pack as much or sticking above the pack as much catching on brush um, kind of like that. Um, we've been talking about that SIG cross rifle, right? Like how awesome that would be to take to Alaska where you could fold up the stock and strap that to the pack when you're busting through all that brush, you know, just having that lower profile that the bow is kind of the same thing. Like when it's in your hand, it doesn't really matter, right? Whether it's 30 or 35 inches, you're kind of, you know, navigating through the brush with it. But once you're strapping it to stuff, uh, that, that shorter axle axle is nice. So, um, yeah, I think it's just find what feels good for you and, and roll with it. Cool. Steve, that's a great segue into the next question that you didn't know was coming. So good job on getting lucky on that one. <laughs> uh, but speaking of bows and packs, a separate question was, oh, wait, before I get to that, we skipped over. Are there any new for 2021 bows that you're excited about? And I, for me, the short answer is no. And that's not because they're not exciting. But number one is they're not all out yet. And number two, I haven't shot anything or looked close yet and ata is not happening this year i won't get to go and shoot them all so for me uh, i haven't like honestly started paying too much close of attention yet but anything steve that you've seen by chance that you excited uh, about? you know no yeah i haven't i haven't paid much attention uh matthews came out with their new bow i, I was kind of um i looked at that the other day and it looks interesting uh, i know hoyt's got their scheduled for january uh, so for me it's one of those deals like i love my rx3 so much that for me to get excited would have to be something that's like, holy crap, that's really cool. You know, um, they, they blew something away. If it's, you know, like RX three to RX four, they made some kind of just incremental changes that, you know, it's, it's a better bow by shock and vibration and stuff like that. Um, but, 
um, you know, for me, the RX three was just so dialed. I continued to shoot it this year. So, uh, yeah, just have to wait and see what they come out with. But on the same hand, I don't pay near as much attention as I did 10 years ago. Right. Like I would have been yeah. on the forums every day looking like <laughs> getting oh, rumors yeah, and getting yeah. all, yeah. And now I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I guess it comes from just being con- like really happy with what I have that, um, I'm just not super, super interested until I, I guess I see it. And then maybe a something will, uh, pique my interest and get me excited to, to get something in my hands and shoot. Yeah. The other thing to that, and this goes back to what you're saying, like the quality is there and how nice almost all bows are these days. It's like everything is so good. It's hard to like pick something that's a true standout, right? Like, yes, there's differences and they have different feels and, um, you know, find what works for you. But at some extent, it's like, gosh, the bows are so good these days. And the companies really struggle to make like leaps and bounds improvements because what they have is already excellent. Yeah. Um, that it's just, it's, yeah, it's kind of tough. It's like, oh yeah, everything's great again. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. <laughs> like a good problem. I've, I've made the comment in the past, like bow companies kind of shot themselves in the foot with getting on this habit of every single year they're expected to come out with a new product. Right. Uh, and it, and everyone's expecting it to be some, you know, monumental change. And, uh, it's just not a reality of being able to do that of, over the course of a year, completely redesign your system and makes leaps and bounds improvements. You're just going to see these little incremental things with, with how it's done. You know, if, if it was truly like, you know, like trucks, right? Like a new truck comes out every, you know, if you're Toyota every 20 years, if you're Ford every (laughs) five to eight, um, you know, and you do see like, even in that area, it's not like you're seeing leaps and bounds, but you're seeing nice improvements when they finally release a new model. Um, You know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's from, they kind of, I think they all, some company, I don't know how it all started, but some company obviously was started doing it and then everyone else had to follow. Um, and now they're expected to, from a marketing side, come out with a new bow every year. That's a, that's a tough task, man. Yeah. I I can't, you know, coming out with a pack every year would be impossible. So, right. I kind of like too the fact that you're seeing companies like Hoyt truly wait till the new year or at least like into December because there for a while it was like, you know, I'd get all excited. It's September and archery season kicks off. And within like one to two weeks, it's like next year's bows out. And I'm like, wait, yeah. we just started archery season. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Let's, let's chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that was another thing. Like, yeah, they they started doing new bows every year. And then one company's like, you know, F those guys. We're going to release <laughs> we're gonna beat November, you. Yeah. And then F those guys. We're going to do it in November. Yeah. And they're working backwards. So a bunch of them were in October. And yeah. yeah. It's, uh, oh, well. <laughs> All right. So back to, we were talking about packs and bows before I derailed us. Uh, yeah. A question came in and said, any specific tips for shooting with a pack on? How can you shoot your best and not let a pack hinder you? Um, hmm, that's a good question. A, you know, when I'm hunting with a pack on, you know, I, it's something I recommend in general, but definitely keep the upper portion of the pack kind of loosey goosey on you. Not floppy, but I wouldn't overly tighten the harness or overly tighten the sternum strap um, just to add a little bit of mobility. So it's not fighting you. And I mean, there's not much you can do different packs. You know, it's one thing um, that we do with XO is, is really focus on lateral movement with the frame as as part like that's a core element of design, right? We need the pack to move with your body so that you can move through the mountains Um, and draw on your bow kind of goes hand in hand with that. Um, but there's not a whole lot you can do as far as the pack. I just, you know, it's not like, uh, you can get a, try all the high end packs on and, and, you know, take it down to your, 
archery range and shoot your bow and see how it feels. It's something you're just kind of stuck with. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it'd just be practicing with it on would be my main suggestion, right? It's just like you need to shoot, uh, as realistic to hunting as, as you're going to be. Um, so at the range, you know, you might look ridiculous with a full pack loaded up, but I would definitely do it, uh, to know what that feels like and, you know, where the, res- where it pushes and pulls on you. Um, and then, uh, the only one random side note I was thinking about was being aware of your surroundings more. Cause you kind of forget you got this pack hanging on you and it's very tempting for me to like, especially elk hunting, right. To like get tied up into the, the edge of a tree or in front of a tree. Um, and I've been in scenarios where you're like at full draw and you go to like turn cause the elk's walking by you and your, your pack behind you is hitting the tree. So it's something to kind of keep in mind of, of being aware of your surroundings when you're wearing that pack on um other than that i don't think i don't have any great tips i just i wouldn't overly tart you know depending on what pack it is i wouldn't overly tighten the the upper suspension portion of it just so it's not limiting your movement yeah no that's a great point too about being too tight to stuff um it's something easy to overlook for sure i mean i think it, it boils down to what you said is like partially how is that frame design i mean it's a different story if you're in a pack like um ours from exo or something similar versus you know take an old school if somebody's still trying to hunt with a old school external pack frame for example like mm-hmm. yeah there's gonna be limitations there to mobility and all that but as you said with with something like ours or more modern packs um it's really just exactly what you said of making sure that you just don't have it too tight there's something i've seen you know when we go to like shows and people throw a pack on and they're fitting it is when there's an adjustment with a strap guys just tend to want to wrench it, you know, like just, you know, you'll see guys throw a pack on and just like grab the load lifters and just pull them hard, um, which you just don't have to do. And if you're doing that while shooting, that can create, you know, some issues. So as you said, keep it kind of loose and comfortable, not floppy. Um, but in general, if the pack's fitted well and you're carrying moderate weight, you don't have to have things super tight that that's going to be the one key. So as you said, put a put the pack on here in the off season and get the shooting and figure out what works for you. Let's see. There's a good question on Alaska, Steve. Um, guy wrote, and I kind of had to chuckle because it I, I could see this going both ways. But he wrote in and said, "Is a DIY moose hunt in Alaska recommended for first time Alaskan hunters, or should we ease into the state with something potentially easier?" And he said lighter, like caribou or black bear or something else. Uh, to me, a DIY moose hunt is a first hunt is a bit audacious. <laughs> totally possible. For me, it, I'd start with what are your future goals? Like, is this, you've always wanted to hunt moose in Alaska? Like, that's been the target species in the trip? Then, heck yeah, go for it. If this is, I want to hunt Alaska multiple times over the next, you know, five or 10 years or two decades or what have you. And yes, I want to hunt moose, but I also want to hunt caribou. I also want to hunt black bear. I also maybe want to go to Kodiak, something like that. If this is not a one and done trip and moose is the only target species and you're just want to begin hunting Alaska, you know, maybe call it every three or five years or what have you. um, I would prefer to get experience with something other than moose um and then you know kind of get not even just for the hunt but just the logistics of flying and all that stuff which we've talked about like everything's 
gonna be bigger <laughs> with a moose hunt <laughs> um and you're just gonna have to deal with it more so i personally would prefer to have some experience under my belt uh before i jumped into moose hunting unless again it was just like i just flat out want to hunt moose i want a trip to alaska and that's it and go for it but what are your thoughts steve hey i'm gonna echo exactly what you just said and, and i'm i went through this exact thing right with 2000 14 i think 15 uh did my first trip to alaska you know did a moose hunt it's first time i ever paid money for a hunt right all, all of everything prior to that was maybe a few non-resident tags like going to nevada to hunt deer or something like that but other than that it was 30 dollars tags in idaho just so to fork out you know five six seven thousand dollars was like holy crap like i'm just gonna do this once and that's it um and uh yeah, did the trip because uh, yeah, just came with that mindset like, hey, I really want to hunt moose. Uh, caribou wasn't super interesting to me at the time. And that's kind of like probably the only two species I could think about going up there to do at the time. Um, as far as like a, you know, like, uh, you know, hunting sheep, which I got to do this last year was, you know, back then would have been like, yeah, no, not in a million years would ever do that. Um, but uh so yeah, went up there with that mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to go up there this once and and let's do moose. That's what I want to hunt. Um, in hindsight, uh, I would uh, absolutely suggest doing something like a Kodiak trip for deer or a caribou trip, um, knowing that you're going to come back again and, and do moose because there's just a lot of logistical challenges um, getting up there, right? And probably the biggest thing for me was... Um, and I'm not the most patient person. And once you get up there, you really don't control. I mean, you're, you're, you don't control your own destiny in a sense of getting in and out of the field, getting your meat moved around. You know, it's something you just take for granted in the lower 48 where for, you know, 99.99% of hunts, you literally, you jump in your truck, you drive a few hours, you park, you hunt, you come back, like you, you control everything going up there, you know, being at the mercy of the pilot and the air service, um, the, the guide service, whatever, um, that was, that's kind of hard to adjust to, like just, you know, uh, every trip met was a matter of like literally sitting in a hotel room or a B and B or in an airplane hangar for days waiting to get out of the field. Uh, and then you get out there and then getting back out of the field into town is, you know, sometimes a process. So, um, we did that first trip with moose. We had delays, uh, getting our meat home, you know, it was just so much meat. You didn't know what to do with it. Um, I remember we didn't get our meat back until like January from a September hunt. Um, so that was just frustrating. And a lot of that was, you know, um, first time experience and being moose, just the amount of meat that you're bringing back home. And the, uh, if you, you know, Jason on that trip, had killed a big bull and getting those antlers home ended up paying probably a lot more than needed to. So, if you think you're going to do multiple trips, highly recommend like do a small bite first, do, do uh caribou, do uh you know, um, deer and then, and then do a moose trip after that. But like you just said, if you're someone who's like really disciplined with your finances and you've only got so much you could set aside and it takes you five to 10 years to save up for that moose hunt, um, then absolutely by all means just go do it. You know, um, if you kind of can plan that far out and, um, I, you know, I, wouldn't i'd highly suggest doing it and then i'd say once you go up there once you're gonna go back again like yeah. you're gonna find a way to make that work you're gonna get a second job or start squirreling squirreling away money where you can to, to get back up there because it's a pretty pretty unique wild experience yeah yeah good stuff um 
this is totally random, Steve, but literally I was, my email was up on the other screen from a podcast and we just got a podcast question come through two seconds ago. So I figured we well, might as well answer it, right? Um, he, this guy just wrote in and said, I heard Steve talk about using a hydration bladder and Sawyer filter for water on his hunts. I do the same. However, on a recent hunt, I ran into some cold weather that froze the hose on my bladder, rendering it useless. What is some general tips from you guys on how to manage water systems in the late season with uh, sub-freezing temps, essentially? Uh, I know we've hit this on the past, and I think actually, the, if guys go back to this time last year, we did, I think, a couple podcasts on cold weather tips. Um, but just to quickly hit it, since it came up, and why the heck not? Um, just really simple stuff, Steve, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting stuff, but the always things that come to mind is, number one, if you use a Sawyer uh, shake it out after every time you use it, just pull off both fittings on the ends. If you have those installed, shake it out. You just want to get as much water out of the filter as possible. Um, essentially when that water is trapped in there and then freezes, it's going to expand and then risk the, uh, possibility of essentially cracking the filter element, uh, rendering it not as effective. So number one, shake out your filter. Number two, if you're using a bladder, um, you know, with a with a hose, ideally you add some sort of insulation to the drinking tube. Um, if you don't, especially, or even if you do, I'd still recommend it if you're hunting in sub-freezing temps. Just blow the water out of the tube after you take a drink. So essentially blow all the water where it's back in the bladder and not in the tube. Um, and then even if you're using uh, like Nalgene's um, and say like you're on a backpack hunt and overnight it's going to be uh, sub-freezing store those upside down. Um, essentially the water is going to start to freeze at what is the top of the water level first. And so if you basically turn the water bottle upside down, you have the opening at the bottom, that's going to be the last part to freeze. So then in the morning, you just flip it right back up. And now you're hopefully non-frozen water is up and most accessible. Um, that's just random quick stuff. Any, anything else, Steve? Uh, you know, everything you just said is spot on. I just, uh, um, yeah, blowing, blowing the water back into the bladder from the tube right so take a drink and then just while you're still biting down just basically you know like just blowing air back into it put it back in the bladder um like i'll, I'll do that like on uh late archery hunts here right where it's you know you're hunting and it's 10 to 20 degrees during the day it's going to freeze on you really fast i i haven't had much luck with a tube insulator like if it seems like to me if it's cold enough to freeze it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. uh, it might buy uh, an extra 10 20 minutes maybe but it just still seems to freeze so you just got to be disciplined about blowing water back in and it's frustrating if you forget to do that and the, the thing's frozen and then it's like your water's just stuck in the bladder um that so in that scenario too like on instead of putting the bladder inside the pack um i'll just put it kind of like one of the side pockets on the pack right so i just worst case scenario i just i can just pull it out unscrew the cap and drink right from it um make it a lot easier so Mm -hmm. and then yeah just at nighttime um oh my son just walked in the room what's, what's up, up joey <laughs> <laughs> um poopy diaper and all um, <laughs> um yeah and then uh um it just as far as get your bladder and your filter like in the sleeping bag with you like on a, on a quilt i'll just put it like right on the edge of the pad so it's right next to me um, and that'll keep it from freezing at night. You know, you don't want to, don't leave your pack laying outside over, you know, you go to bed and it's not freezing, but it's going to freeze overnight. Uh, then your bladder is going to be frozen in the morning. So, um, same thing right there at night, blow the water back into the bladder and, 
and I'll just put it like right next to me in the tent. And I always, um, some, I haven't consistently done this, but I'll, if I have a little Ziploc bag, I'll throw the Sawyer in that and then throw it in the bottom of the sleeping bag. If it's going to be really, really cold, you know? Um, so yeah, a few little tips there. Cool. Yeah, actually, I've gotten a kind of a habit of blowing the water back in, even when it's not freezing, because like on a warm hunt, uh, like say it's cool overnight, most of your water is going to be cool in the bladder, but then the water that's in the tube that's getting sun exposure while you're hiking around in warmer weather gets warmed up. You guys have probably noticed that, like you take a drink and the first bit of it's warm and then you get the nice cool water from your bladder. So I've actually gotten in a habit of blowing water back in uh, to the bladder, even in warm hunts, just mm. so that when I take that next drink, I'm actually pulling cold water, colder water out of the bladder versus the water that's been sitting in my tube and like hitting the sun and is warm. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah. Random. I wonder, I've never researched like a, an insulate, like I'm envisioning that um, little uh, packet I got from Heather's Choice to put the food in mm-hmm. that um, insulator stuff made out of uh, Cuban fiber. It'd be interesting to like have that long and deep enough that you could drop the entire bladder into it, um, mm-hmm. and it, it'd keep it, you know, from freezing, and also opposite, it'd keep it cold. Um, mm-hmm. You could put it in there during the day. I wonder if that would make a significant impact. I have to play with that next year. Yeah, for sure, that'd be fun. All right, well, we got gear to ship and poopy diapers to change, so that's <laughs> a wrap on this one, guys. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. We'll have a, a full length episode dropping tomorrow and then if you have any questions for us on a future monday minutes just shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com we'll talk to you soon